Last summer on a free Sunday, I decided uh, to go and worship in Canterbury Cathedral, and uh, it was the main morning Eucharist service, and as I sat waiting for the service to begin, I read the uh, order of service paper and the notice sheet that looks very much like our outlook. I saw that the Sunday was headed Sob Sunday. Well, we have many special Sundays in Methodism. They seem to grow year by, by year. Um, we celebrate all the Christian, main Christian festivals and we have Sunday, special Sundays of our own. But I'd never come across anything that was called Sob Sunday before. So I had to wait until the service began for the explanation. The celebrant and the preacher were both members of the cathedral clergy who were deeply involved in the life of the children and teenagers who are part of the cathedral choir. And of course they're not just part of the cathedral choir but the cathedral school. And this was the last Sunday for about 10 of those teenagers who would be moving on to further education. And there was special mention of these youngsters, five boys, five girls, as the service went by. Even a thumbnail sketch in one sentence about the characters of each of these uh, teenagers. And I thought that was a rather nice church family touch in a great big worldwide um, known cathedral where people come sometimes to seek anonymity, to find at the very heart of it that there was this atmosphere of a church family. There were many parents, of course, who'd come to share the day. There was going to be a lunch after the service and then a concert in the afternoon. But it was a sad day, because for these youngsters it marked the end of about seven or eight years of being together, living together in school, singing together in the cathedral, um, playing together, enjoying their leisure, building up friendships and so on. It was going to be a day of goodbyes, a day that was highly charged with emotion, more than a few tears for most of them, a day when they needed to be well stocked up with tissues. Hence, the tradition had grown up of calling this particular Sunday Sob Sunday. Many of us have experiences of deep sadness as we go through life and as we grow up. It would be ridiculous to think otherwise, wouldn't it, really? Those teenage boys and girls could hardly have spent the rest of their lives singing in the uh, young people's choir at the cathedral. They needed to go on and develop in life, but that involved the pain of parting if they were to grow up and develop onto the next stages of life. The shedding of tears may be painful, but it is essential if we're going to grow as people. The first reading, as you noted tonight, was one of those songs of lament, one of those songs expressing deep pain. It's a short psalm, but it certainly brings out some anger and some frustration um, at God. But it's a psalm, stranger, that has inspired many composers, musical composers, to put this psalm to music in various styles. It comes from that time of the exile, some 600, almost 600 years before the birth of Jesus, when most of the Jews were carried off in exile to Babylon. And of course, for many people, we see it in the world around us today, the experience of suddenly being moved from a homeland or feeling forced to flee from a homeland, even worse, being taken forcibly, uh, is a very painful experience. And those Jews who were carried off to Babylon five or six hundred years before the birth of Jesus 
were well aware that the fact that their captors had not only dragged them away from their homes, but from the devastated city of Jerusalem uh, and from the temple, which was then very largely destroyed. The temple which had been the focus of their worship and the sign that God was in their midst. And so for many of them, there was a spiritual pain because for them, in their minds, God was located in the land where they had lived, the land where they'd grown up, the land that they believed that he had given to them. And now they were languishing in a foreign land. They felt somehow they must have left God behind. And so we're told in this psalm that they sat and wept, sitting that was a fairly common kind of posture for those who were in mourning. And of course they were in mourning because they'd lost something. And because the Jews had acquired a reputation amongst some of their neighbours for being a singing people, uh, the people who'd captured them tried to persuade them to sing. Our tormentors demanded of us songs, sing us one of the songs of Zion. That really was digging the knife in, wasn't it? Asking people to sing when you knew very well that they were as down in the dumps as they could possibly be. It was cruel mockery. They couldn't sing. We hung up our harps on the willows. That was one of the really low periods of Jewish history that we read about in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And it lasted for about 70 years. It was a sob time. The weeping came to an end, of course, when the exile came to an end, and rather unexpectedly they were allowed to return home. But through their weeping, they had been taught some very valuable lessons about life, and particularly valuable lessons about God. It was during this period that many of them were challenged to a belief in a much larger God than they had ever thought that they believed in before. Through the pain God spoke to them through, the, through a number of the prophets, and challenged them to believe in the God of all the nations. And when we turn to some of the, what we call the middle chapters in that long book of Isaiah, particularly chapters 40 to 55, and when we turn to some of the, book, the chapters in the book of Jeremiah, we find there some pictures that enlarge that concept that people had of God. And suddenly they realise that God is not just a God of Israel who somehow is bound by the geographical boundaries of that country, but one who is God of all the nations, a God who operates across all the nations of the world, and a God who had called his people Israel in order to be a light to the other nations of the world. And some of the most inspiring passages that we have in the Old Testament about the greatness of God come from this rather painful period of Jewish history. He wasn't just a one-nation God confined to these boundaries. And so therefore they hadn't left God behind them when they went somewhere else. And God hadn't abandoned them just because they were in a strange land. But if they hadn't had that period of separation from their homeland, the feeling that they were separated from God and being challenged by God's messengers to realise they might have remained very narrow and insular and missed the point of what God was calling them to do. They only grew through that period of great pain. Of course, there are plenty of people in the world at present who could 
identify with some of those emotions that the Jewish people must have felt when they were carried off into exile in Babylon. Hundreds and thousands of people beyond number, uprooted in various ways and for various reasons from their homes and their countries because of political upheavals and wars. People who've lost all that they have and who are searching for something but they don't know where they're going to find it. And we all experience loss in different kinds of ways, uh, other kinds of ways too. The loss that we experience sometimes through bereavement can be extremely painful. The loss we experience when some tragedy strikes in life and when in a moment of time life can be turned upside down. That kind of experience can bring acute pain. Or the loss of work and status that sometimes goes with it, and purpose for life that comes with redundancy, can lead people into a very debilitating period of life. And all those kind of losses are the, a sort of a, an extension, if you like, of that rather elementary loss that was being felt by those teenagers in Canterbury Cathedral on that Sunday when I was there last summer. But the God who enabled some of his people to grow through a time of painful exile is the God who is able to help us to work through some of our times of loss and pain. Not just to work through them, but even to flourish because of them. One of the great characters in the New Testament who's captured the imagination imagination of artists as well as commentators... Uh, down the centuries, is Mary Magdalene. She's been described as the most commonly depicted female figure after the Virgin Mary in Western medieval art. And amongst the women who are specifically named in the Gospels, Mary Magdalene's name is the one that is most frequently found. It appears about 12 times, and uh, always, with one exception, um, in connection with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. She's named in three of the Gospels as being uh, one of those people who was still near the cross after the disciples had fled. She is sometimes identified with the woman who was a sinner and who anointed his feet. But what we are told very clearly in one of the Gospels is that she's named alongside the other 12 who were traveling around him and that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. That was enough reason for her to feel a huge set of debt to Jesus. And that reading that Michael has just read for us tells us that on the first Easter day, she was the very first to be there at the tomb, the empty tomb, along with Peter and John. And when they found the tomb empty, Peter and John went back to their homes. But Mary Magdalene remained in the garden. And she remained there weeping because her loss was absolutely devastating. We can only imagine that her tears would have been uncontrollable. She was beside herself with grief, to the extent that when Jesus did appear and stood right beside her, she couldn't clearly see through her tears and assumed that he was the gardener. And those tears represented deep sorrow and the sorrow of bereavement. And I guess that we all know something about the sorrow of bereavement 
and how those tears of bereavement can flow very profusely and sometimes very unpredictably. It's quite natural for somebody to sob uncontrollably for a while and there are all sorts of things that can trigger the tears. Maybe the memory of a song that we heard with somebody, a place that we went together, an anniversary, and so on. But for Mary Magdalene, the, the bereavement went deeper than that, of course, because this was the sorrow of having lost somebody to whom she owed more than she could ever say. This was the person who had put her in touch with God. And for her, the death of Jesus meant a spiritual sadness. But from this moment of sadness, expressing indescribable loss, where she stays in the garden weeping, comes something of huge significance. Because the risen Lord appears to her, calls her by name, and commissions her to be the one to go and tell the disciples that he was alive. What a task to do. And out of those tears of indescribable sadness came a new understanding of her Lord. And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me, but go and tell my brothers and sisters that I'm ascending to my Father. Clinging to her body would really have been limiting her to something from the past. Knowing Jesus in the flesh, only there when she could actually see him or touch him. What came out of this experience of utter devastation was this encounter with the living Lord. And she realized from that moment on that wherever she went, and whatever her circumstances, he was there in a new way. Jesus was more with her then than ever before. And that experience of deep sorrow and heartbreaking grief brought her through that experience to be somebody of inspirational quality. Obviously, some of the painful and hard losses that I've touched on this evening so far are things that we would describe as personal losses and personal pain. The loss of bereavement, the loss of homes or jobs, security and status, these are all personal losses. But we do also experience something of corporate loss as well. Loss as a group of people, and particularly in the life of the church. And today, here in the life of our church at Westminster, we are acknowledging that this is Mission in Britain Sunday. Sometimes we've called it Home Mission, as opposed to World Mission it is about how we share the Christian gospel in various ways through our life together as God's people in this nation. And the church's mission in this country at the moment is not easy. We are in a present, what we sometimes call a rather secular climate. Many churches are struggling. Many local churches have closed. I just sat down and did a little calculation the other day Looking back over the years uh, of my ministry, when I've had pastoral charge of 21 different churches, 10 of those churches are still open, but 21 of them have closed. And you might well say, well, that's nothing to stand there and boast about. Um, 
I feel very sad uh, about that. I do realize that those closures may to some extent be a consequence of some of my failures in ministry, but I doubt whether I'm wholly responsible. It is a snapshot of what has been happening in many parts of England during the last 50 years in the mainstream Christian denominations. Loss of many church members, loss of many ministers, loss of many buildings, and many people would add, and a loss of influence in society too. And certainly every time there has been a church closure, there have been tears, many tears, tears of sadness, tears of anger, tears of frustration, tears of bitterness. And people have had to leave places of worship where they've grown up, where they've been baptized, where they've been married, where they've had the funeral services of loved ones and many other things that are very close to their lives. Churches where they've been converted, churches where they've learnt to pray, churches where they've learnt to share in Christian service, and so on. And leaving all that behind them is inevitably a deeply sad experience. But sometimes out of that deep sadness, that loss, those closures, new forms of church have come about planted in order to make contact with people in new ways. And a few weeks ago, our president of the conference this year, Roger Walton, um, writing in the Methodist Recorder, wrote about how we need to see that link between the church closures and all the pain that they bring and the new plantings, as we sometimes call them, of new work in new places Because our tears of loss as a people of God can sometimes lead to new ways of understanding how God wants us to communicate in changing times. New ways of coming alongside people and a a real experience of God's activity and presence amongst us. And these things can turn out to be exhilarating and exciting experiences. It is very easy, all too easy, to be like Mary Magdalene and want to cling on to the past, to cling on to what we have known, to cling on to where we have known and been certain of God and to grieve if it goes and is taken from us. But as we pray for the life of the Christian church in what we sometimes call Western secular society, we need to pray for that strengthening that comes not because we avoid the hard experiences and loss, but for the strength. We need to pray for the strengthening and the renewal that can come, come through that painful loss and forced change. And I just want to say before I finish that growing through sobbing and grief isn't automatic. It doesn't automatically happen. Some people just become very bitter and withdrawn. But growing through sobbing is possible. Whether we're facing personal losses or whether we're facing a loss in some sense as the people of God together, it's possible when we believe in and affirm that God is a God who does not leave us in the deepest darknesses of our life but who sustains us and leads us into new and deeper experiences of his presence.
we began our service by singing the hymn, though, Worship the Lord in the Beauty of Holiness, and that hymn contained the phrase, Mornings of Joy give for evenings of tearfulness, trust for our trembling and hope for our fear. We need to affirm as we meet together this evening that God can take away the tears of the evening when we think that everything is done and there's no future ahead and give us the joy of the morning, the promise of a fresh start ahead, stretching ahead of us, taking us and using all the pain of the past to bring us to a new and a deeper relationship with him. And so let's pray for the faith to believe that that is true and to receive what he has to give us. Amen.